Hello, everybody. Welcome to No Lesson Plan. Thank you so much for listening in, for tuning in from all over the world, wherever you are. Um, today, I'm here with the almighty Moninator, Mr. Alonso Gonzalez. How you doing, my man? Yo, yo, yo. Hello, everybody. Thank you. For, thank you so much for having me here at No Lesson Plan. It's such a big honor. Why is that, man? Why are you so honored to be here? We're just going to chat about ELT. Oh, that's why, fool. I haven't talked about it in, like, forever. Well, at least for a couple of years. So it's kind of exciting getting back on the horse, you know? Yeah. You know what? I'm totally interested in talking about what you've been doing because as far as I'm concerned, you're doing something a little bit different nowadays. Why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about, um, I don't know, a little bit about yourself. Well, yeah. Hello, everybody. How y'all doing, y'all sick-ass fools who listen to this great-ass podcast? Well, my name is Alonzo. Um, I'm a native from basically Irapuato City, back in the center of the central area of Mexico in Guanajuato. I actually studied a BA, a bachelor's degree. Uh, Leo was one of my classmates at some point, and I was a professor for quite a long time, just about 11 years. But then two years back, something changed. I stopped teaching classes. And that's because there's other interesting industrial opportunities here in the Bajio area. There's actually a lot of car companies making it big over here. And I just so happened to become a translator for one of those Japanese companies. So for the last couple of years, that's what I've been doing. I've been working on the car making industry as an interpreter and translator. That is really, really interesting. That's really different than what I've been doing uh, with the interviews. Everyone whom I've uh, interviewed has basically been a language teacher. Now, let's get started with the language teaching part and then we'll move on to your translator uh, 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 gig that you've got going on with these Japanese companies. How interesting is that, Alonso? Okay, what made you become a language teacher? Well, that's the Funny thing, I mean, I guess pretty much like a lot of people, I just kind of fell into it. I mean, I was looking for something to study after high school and pretty much I didn't have an idea of what I wanted to study. Like, I don't know, let's say pretty much every freaking one who's going to college. I just had one criteria for it. It had to be something in which I was forced to use a foreign language. I mean, English would be perfect because I had a pretty good demeaning over it. And just, you know, looking around, I just so happened to find a BA from the Guanajuato University School. And I just say, you know, th there was this big description, like, we're not going to teach you English. You have to master it because most of the classes are already in that language. It's You're not going to go and learn the language. You have to learn how to teach in theories behind it. I said, well, I mean, I didn't have any particular love for teaching, but I said, okay, this is something that is going to make me have to use another language at all times because my dad was all about like you study some engineering or something like that. it's good money and sometimes you use english i'm like yeah sometimes it's not really gonna cut it fool it's something that would make <laughs> me using a language no matter what and you know, that, that's a funny thing i mean that it's the same thing with interpretation i have to use another language that's that yeah that's the appeal of it for me i there's something in my brain i don't know if you have this thing that I don't mind Spanish. I like it. It's another language. But if I'm only using Spanish for like long periods of time, let's say it goes by a week, two weeks where I'm only speaking Spanish, I kind of feel like dull. Like, the fuck is this, man? <laughs> Dude, um, how many languages do you speak? I know you do Japanese as well, don't you? Well, yeah, like I said, I'm working at Japanese companies. I have to speak Japanese quite a lot. Oh my goodness, um, I, man. I can obviously do English, I can do Spanish, I can do Mexinaco, as we call it. Mexinaco. <laughs> <laughs> Little bit of French, but I mean, don't quote me on that. Okay. I learned mostly from Dexter's Live, you know. <laughs> nice, man. So it's basically Japanese, English, and Spanish. Yeah, pretty much. My French is remedial awesome. best. Freaking awesome. Hey, dude. Tell me about um, who did you used to teach when you were teaching the language English? Um, what what grade level or what levels? What's going on with that? Well, that's a kind of funny thing. I got around quite a bit. My first actual gig was in a school that is technically kind of a private school, but it's kind of cheap for people of low income resources. 
So I was teaching uh, junior high there, but oh man, working with teenagers from 11 to 15 is just, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. I was that school, the English teacher for, uh, let's say about half a year. And then they switched me to this strange thing where they say, okay, you're still gonna do English, but you gotta teach geography in English. I was like, okay. nah, they had already told me, like, we're going to have you teach, like, someone else is going to take over English. You're going to do, like, literature and reading, reading, writing workshops and stuff. And I said, okay, I can do that. And when they told me about geography, I said, oh, all right, let's give it a shot. But it was a little bit too much time consuming. Back then, I had to do, like, a bunch of paper and research, you know, you know how the man in BA can be. Like, I don't really... I didn't really have the time to read all of the geography material, then translate it, and then make adaptations because, I mean, the level of English of the students wasn't so high that I could just go off the handle like that. I kind of had to make it intelligible to, to some extent. So I just quit that. And then I moved on to another private school where I, I was actually a, a student there during my own junior high. And the thing is that there was this uh, elementary school teacher she was giving third grade, but she had cancer, fool. So she had oh, to go get a biopsy. And no, I mean she's had cancer like three times, and she fights on. She's gone over, she's gone through the whole thing and chemotherapy, and she lives on a strong person. But uh, nice, well, man, she nice. was going to be away on treatment. She she contacted me because through my mom she figured she learned that I was. Starting to be and she was like, you know, come over, you know, help me for like a couple of months while I'm taking chemo. So that's what I did. She just gave me a few lesson plans and I took over her class. And when she came back, I was just so affected that, that for the rest of that half a year, I mean, other teachers were like, I'm going to have a sick leave. Like, you guy, I know you're teaching. Get over here. So in six months, I pretty much got experience teaching all throughout elementary school levels. Okay. And then uh, the gig kind of bent there because, you know, summer started. Teachers were not really requiring me to give any lessons as it was summer break. But then yeah. an interesting thing happened. You remember Liliana, right? Of course, of course. Lily, I love, we all love Lily. We all love Lily. She's our mom, basically. She, she's awesome. Yeah, but back then she was a coordinator back at the language school for okay. Guanajuato University here in Irapuato. Okay. And because we were a little bit of acquaintances, I just happened to go there and said, yeah, fuck it, I'm, I'm going to drop a resume there. And I just got the job. And I right. spent the next seven years there teaching. Well, it ranges a lot because we accept people from starting 15 years old. And okay, I've had 80 years old students in the classroom. So that was really interesting because... Quite a change, I mean, huh? Yeah, I mean, when you got a, a class where they're about the same age, call it elementary, junior high, high school, you kind yeah. of get an idea of what to do. But what if, I don't know, say a quarter of your group is teenagers, and then another fraction of that is people who are working, and then you got a couple of retirees or people who are in the middle of college. How do you get everybody to sort of talk about stuff? I mean, there's general topics that you can talk about, but get everybody excited and everyone pitching in. That was really interesting. That is super interesting. How did you do it, man? There was a bunch of stuff that I did. I mean, the approach I took to it was pretty much the way I kind of learned English. I acquired, I guess. Well, half and half. I did take a few lessons here and there. But like, I didn't really work at it much. For me, the motivation was like, I like video games. I like computers. So I'm just going to learn about stuff. It just yeah. so happened to be in English. So that's what I did with my class. I tried to turn it into sort of a game like... A, a little bit like not musical chairs but a lot of games that you would play like with your friends when you're young like okay. uh, Basta we play a lot in Spanish I used to do games like that or Chinese Whispers um, okay. there was a time where YouTube was starting to become you know interesting and stuff and viral there was this tendency of having a vlogger presenting viral videos and making jokes about them so Super you bring cool, that man. into class and everybody make jokes about it or there's Super other cool. websites where they upload random pictures. Let's say the picture okay. is black and white and you get uh, a duck crossing a road, but he's wearing like a, a traffic cone for a hat. Okay. And I will try to get everyone. All right, what do you think is the situation here? Why is a, war, a duck in the middle of a construction site? And 
I would have this exercise with just we look at the most random pictures and just make up a story about it because that, that was part of the exams back in the university. But it was okay. like very though. You just have like a picture of a couple of people having brunch, but okay. I didn't think it was creative enough. So I just took a spin on those kind of evaluations okay. and try to make it strange to get them to think. Okay. And as it moved on, I, I did a lot of other stuff like back in the BI, there was a class with Douglas. Uh, the main theme about it was using video for classes. Yeah. So I filled out a hard drive, an external hard drive with videos and stuff. Mm-hmm. And the very few semesters that I stayed there on my last couple of semesters, I had videos for everything. Like I remember there was a couple of students who were like, can you imagine what, what if you got mugged in the street, but the robber only had like a banana or a piece of fruit? Like I got a video from that. And I actually played some Monty Python for them. They're like, how, how the hell do you find this stuff? But it was something that got them interested in it. I had okay. a class that was theme about um, board games. Like we would start like, how do you play tic-tac-toe? And they would start giving me instructions. As it would, but how do you decide order? How many players? What are the conditions to win? What are the rules of the game? So I would give them a bunch of board games, uh, chess, checkers, uh, uh, palitos chinos and whatnot. I had another class where it was about rhythm and speaking. So I I spent like a month looking for different uh, rap songs that they could sort of understand. Rap songs, the, Yeah, yeah. Nice, nice. Like, I, I don't know. What I did to get them excited, uh, there's this video, the this clip from the Jimmy Fallon show okay. where Daniel Radcliffe is his guest, you know, Harry Potter. Yeah. And he's into rapping, so he did it on the live show. And I was like, all right, I like it. After we watched the video, here's the lyrics. Let's give it a shot. Okay. And we just started going at it, and people were interested in it. That, that's the thing. My idea for getting everybody interested was trying to do something that was kind of a game. You could be a goof, because mainly myself, I, I like being a goof, and I use all sorts of tricks to kind of teach people and dumb stuff. Uh, but that was my way of getting around it. Like I said, uh, you could get people from 15 to 50 to 80 years old. So you kind of got to make a racket so that everybody's like, huh? What the <laughs> Oh, man. A racket, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. Nice. Even I showed up in person. I was nice. Batman. Which you were bat for sure. You were Batman. I, I the Batmobile. The, the Bocho Mobile. <laughs> <laughs> I was driving a Bocho a few years before that, but. I would have had my bad bicycle. Nice, man. Nice. I mean, everything you're mentioning right now is so incredibly useful and helpful, man. I mean, bringing in board games and, hey, explain this to me. How do you play it? They have to use the language. You know, they have to use whatever you're teaching them, the vocabulary, grammar, whatever it is, but in an authentic way and in a fun way. Yeah. And like I said, I would bring board games that pretty much everybody knows how to play, let's say, Monopoly or checkers or stuff like that so it's not like they have to go out of their way and try to find out how, how to play is it something they already know so they just had to work around the language and say if you don't know the specifications don't worry about it just i know uh write an x write a circle that, that's understandable enough you you, yeah. you don't got to make a like an encyclopedic level instruction here as long as people understand it that's effective communication nice man very cool i never i had never thought about that now I'm going to have to use some of those ideas. I hope people out there um, can relate to this and maybe you can take some of these ideas there. This is what No Lesson Plan is all about, man. Exactly yeah, what you're talking about. Exactly, exactly what you're talking about. Okay, man, moving on in your timeline. So then what happened? Well, after I live uh, the University of Guanajuato, I went to another private school uh, uh, on the outskirts of the city. The interesting thing about it is that a friend of mine had been inviting me over to work at this school, but I was like, I've worked with children before and I kind of didn't want to go back into it. But I was drawn to it mainly because the job had perks. That, that's the only bad thing. I mean, at my previous job, I only had salary and that's it. No perks at all. Like, well, all right, I'm, I can start a retiring fund. I can get my Christmas bonus and whatnot. So I moved it over there. Okay. And the job that they had for me... I wasn't a teacher per se. I was a okay. tutor for foreign exchange students because oh nice. Uh, this is a school that works with I don't know if you're familiar with the International Baccalaureate. 
It's yeah. the system, well, for those of you listening out there, it's a system that was envisioned for families that travel around the world. And in this uh, academic curriculum, what the kids can do is that they can follow on a, let's say, standardized uh, curriculum that most universities will accept. So let's say you're yeah. studying here in Mexico and you study the national curriculum and then you go to Germany or Ireland, but you only take like regular public school education, you yeah. might have some trouble into higher education because they're like, well, you, there's this, uh, let's say, core knowledge that you have to have. So the international baccalaureate takes care of that. So anyways, I started uh, working there and the majority of the foreign students were Japanese children. That was wow. the thing. How and old were they? It would range a lot. We would have like toddlers, like kindergartners. Oh, and then wow. we'd have them all spread out mostly through elementary school from first to sixth grade. Okay. And my job was basically, I, I was assigned at certain hours of the, you know, let's say from nine to 10, you're going to be on fifth grade. From 11 to 12, you're going to be on third grade and so on. Okay. And my job was basically being there at the classroom and when the child did not understand something or there was a complicated activity, I would explain to him what they would have to do because they had on the side a Spanish class where they were learning. Okay. And at the same okay. time, uh, during that first year, I was tasked with teaching Japanese from uh, third, no, fourth, no, we were first to third grade. And that was really okay. tough because they, they didn't have a curriculum in. They, they just had like sort of a... Uh, a booklet, but it was sort of like a, just a bunch of copies put together. It didn't really make any sense. So, so you yeah, had after, to put, did you have to put the curriculum together? Yeah, I had to decide how to go about it because uh, nice. at first it was, they had this idea of having me follow uh, what was basically task-based content. Okay. So, okay. Uh, let's say uh, at one point, Children were studying something to do with um, constellations and stars, learning what a planet is. So okay. I would have to find a way to teach something related to that topic, but in Japanese. So that was really motherfucking tough. So the easiest, <laughs> thing, I, the easiest thing I could think of is, all right, let's just do zodiac signs. Why? Because, yeah. because I can draw the animal, so it's sort of easy. But uh, I mean, just the construction of the words is just completely foreign. I mean, you understand what a library is? Yeah. But if I tell you what a tendinza, you're like, the fuck's that? The fuck Doesn't is make that, sense. Man? And I cannot teach you to write that because the writing is a lot more complex than it sounds. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. they use Chinese characters. All. Yeah, after a few months of that and a few complaints from myself and from my friend who, had, uh, who was a coordinator of that area, they kind of uh -huh. got the hang of it and say, all right, we, we get it. Base content is not really going to work for you. I mean, if children are just learning the bones of the body, and I mean, bone names are hard enough. Imagine learning yeah. them in in Japanese. That is, I mean, it's a foreign language by definition, but it's so very different from Spanish Absolutely. and English. That Absolutely. They're not going to have any context for it. So after yeah. a, a few months of that, they say, all right, you know what? You decide what to teach. So I just started teaching them Japanese from zero, but it was really tough because okay. I not only had to manage the children learning Japanese, but I had Japanese children in class. So for them, that was like way easy. So I of course. eventually had to figure out what am I going to have them do while well, the rest of them just start learning their ABCs per se. And what did you do about it? Oh, well, that's the thing. I mean, children, because they were older, they were already starting to learn some calligraphy and and Chinese characters that I use in the Japanese language. So I just have them do drills for more complex stuff. And the okay. deal was, right, if you finish up, I got a couple of board games here in the classroom. So you got to finish up your drills. But the thing is, I'm super strict. So if I saw that something was as smooth or kind of half ass, I'd like, do it again. <laughs> so they, they actually worked hard half on it. Ass. You said so, half ass. <laughs> half a booty. <laughs> booty, 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 <laughs> booty. <laughs> <laughs> listen, man, listen, hold up. I'm going to stop you on your tracks right there, dude. How in the world did you learn Japanese? Well, that's the funny thing. I mean, when I was in high school, I got kind of depressed and I, I just fell out of high school for, for a semester. But 
during that time, my mom, seeing that I was so down, she was like, well, you want to learn Chinese for a while now, but you also like Japan. So she had a friend who was a coordinator back at the language school here, the same language school of the University of Guanajuato that I would work at years later. Okay. And there was a Japanese class at that moment. So, you know, I, I can, you know, kind of move my influence to get you there because they had sort of a month prior. Okay, okay. So, the, you know, the, the, they kind of gave me a little boost up there and said, all right, uh, we's going to take you in, but here's the kick. <laughs> the classes started a month before you came in, so oh. you're going to have to haul ass and catch up on your own. Nobody's going to teach you. So oh. I was like, okay. In two weeks, I learned two alphabets and some basic vocabulary. Okay. And from there on, I, I, I don't know, it was just kind of easy for me. I was like, my friends were like, oh, dude, did you study for the exam? And I was like, oh, shit, we had a test? I, I was just like doing it for the shits and giggles, you know, for the kicks. Nice, man. And it, I just, after that, and by the time I finished high school, I, it kind of clicked on me. Like, you know, I mean, Japanese is nothing to sneeze at. It's nothing to snicker at. No, it's difficult, man. I took a I took a course, a basic Japanese course. It's hard, man. Just learning to write the basic alphabets. I mean, it's fifty six of each of the two basic ones, hiragana and katakana. So, if you want to learn like basic ABCs, I mean, you can learn a hundred and change characters, and then the Chinese characters are like over two thousand of them, which are the common use ones. Not, not even the full range, just the most common ones that you can use. It's like two. How many are they? Uh, the general they use is 2,150-something. The, the Japanese work government is looking into it to make it a little bit shorter, I think, but I, I don't know what the number It's above the 2,000. I, that, that much I know. Wow. Nice. But, and they're difficult, man. Yeah. Some of uh, A student of me was telling me, um, think of the capital letter A. How many strokes would you have to do to write a letter A, capital letter? Three. That's it, right? So my student, well, I would ask one of my students who was in that I tutor, and, and she was a she was Japanese, and she would take some Japanese curriculum class over the weekend. I was like, "Oh, okay. Yeah. What character did you learn today?" She was like, "Oh yeah, I learned this character. It's got twenty strokes in it." Like the hell? Can you might have to do twenty strokes for one letter, just one? Which dude? Which one is that? I think it was the one for machine. No, wait, no, machine is the one with 14. I can't remember it because it's 20 okay. strokes. That's a lot, but, dude. Yeah, but anyway, you know, getting a little back on track. I mean, after I, I finished that year of uh, Japanese, I went back to high school, but I had books left over with me, so I just kept studying those books. And by the end of high school, like I told you, when I decided to finally go to college, I decided something that would make me use another language because uh, it it kind of clicked on me. I mean, if I was able to learn Japanese, pick it up that quick, yeah, uh, I got a little bit of a knack for languages. So why not do something related to that? Okay, that's and pretty much happened? how I got. Well, that, that that's the thing. I mean, deciding on me wanting something to do with languages, how I ended up in the BA, and just in time I started teaching classes and. Uh, again, I never took it as a job. I was just yeah. showing up and goofing up, you know, dress as Batman, let's do a rap class, let's, you know let's what? talk about, yeah. For for people like you and me, man, that we show up to work to go goof around and stuff, to have fun. I do it to have fun. We never work, man. I've That's never worked. I'm, I'm telling you, I've never worked. And it seems like you've never worked either. You know what I'm saying? Barely ever. That's, that's kind of beauty of this, man. Yeah, yeah the, the, like working at factories right now, it's the first time I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm an adult. I'm supposed to work, right? <laughs> this is work, fool. <laughs> oh, hey, so that's up. what it is. Okay, okay. So hold on, hold on. All right. So so, so you did language teaching. It seems like you, you've always been super creative. You've always been, you know, out there. You've always been different. You know, you're, you're always adding a twist to your classes, to everything that you do, Alonso. That's the impression that I have from you. Now... How did you switch from teaching into this translation interpretation gig that you have going on right now? Well, I would have to say it had to do with one of the electives back at the BA. There was, um, because I, uh, 
that, that's the thing. Even when I went to college, my logic was sort of goofing around. When I was constructing my classes for each term, I'm like, huh, this sounds interesting. This sounds interesting. I don't like this. Oh, well, I guess I have to take this class or not. And among those electives, there was uh, an introduction to translation. Okay. And I took that course because, I don't know, I just said, yeah, I've done a few translations here and there for friends, but let's give it a shot. It sounds interesting. So I started learning into theories of it and whatnot. And it was really interesting. I, I kind of got a neck for it because I like reading a lot as well. So the thing about translation and ju just, I, I remember the shock of it coming into what translation and interpretation means and the small aspects of each of them. Like, huh, I didn't know there was this much to it. So the more I started uh, going into the class, I was like, you know, I like this. I like this. So um not gonna lie i mean one of the big uh, appeals of becoming a an interpreter translator is that the pay they got the big bucks they got the big that's bucks, but that's where the money is man people out there if you're listening yep you can make some money here teaching you can do a lot of teaching if you go freelance but you gotta work at it you, you gotta construct it's uh, a lot of marketing for yourself yeah but uh, translation was just something I wanted to do. I mean, just negotiating meaning between two languages and trying to get a point across. That's so interesting. It's kind of like the classic example we look at it, uh, or an example I heard a lot when we were discussing the BA, how do you explain to students it's raining cats and dogs? Right, right. So that, that's negotiation of meaning, and it goes a long way, especially when... Uh, I remember I had to do a lot of negotiation, meaning with higher level students when we were looking at phrasal verbs. They get so confused by them, and I can understand because they're most of them are completely contextual. Yeah. There's a lot of dif difference between putting something down and letting someone down. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just put the pen down, and I had to put my dog down. There's there's a whole <laughs> world apart behind between That's those two, right? Different, man. Quite different. <laughs> uh, that's the thing that I like, negotiating meaning. It's so interesting. Okay. And the funny thing is that by the time I started this job, like, I was, my Japanese maybe was at best uh, a second grader. Okay. Like a second grader. And when you go into translation, I mean, and interpretation, I mean, uh, the thing that most factories don't take into account is like, ah, oh, you speak the language, right? Get over here. But, I mean, it's like you speak English, right? What, what if they took you to, I don't know, say a nuclear power plant? Could you explain all the ter technical terms and jargon? Like, even when they were explaining stuff to me in Spanish, I'm like, I know the words coming out of your mouth, but I have no flipping idea what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, that, that was interesting as well, because not only did I have to massively work at my Japanese to for it to become communicational, but I had to learn a lot of jargon, explain like you 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 think of a screw, a screw. It's yeah. such a tiny simple piece, but there's so much detail into the construction of a screw that you wouldn't imagine, man. Of course, all the machines involved, the different types of screws, the different screw heads, the threads, I mean I that's just a little bit of what I know from screws. I mean, yeah, that, that, that's the thing. And that, that was so interesting because I was not only learning the language, I was learning technical aspects of industries because I had and the experience of, that I had not only did I mostly stayed at the factory, so I had to know technical things, but eventually yeah. I, ha I had to dip into the administrative stuff. How, okay. how do you make uh, budgets, how to negotiate uh, deliveries, uh, how to set deadlines for projects and so on. Even okay. internal investigations of the company. So there was a fuck ton of stuff that I had to learn. It was really interesting. Okay, dude, how you, you said that when you started this job, that your Japanese was like a second grader's uh, uh, language and that you had to really work on it. What did you do to improve? Well, that's the thing. I had a couple of grammar books, so I just started going at them. And then I bought this really interesting book. Like, like you can tell from what I've described from my class is kind of gimmicky. Okay. So I bought, um, in Japan, there's this thing, they're comic books, basically, called manga. Yeah, yeah. So I bought this book that uses extracts from manga to teach you grammar. 
what is it called? Uh, it's l it's literally learning Japanese through manga. What? That's the name yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the name. Of it. And they they took mangas okay. from let's say comedy comic books, or there was another one of these comic books where the setting is of uh, let's say a manager from a company yeah. similar to yeah. Mitsubishi, and he starts scaling up until he becomes CEO. So the context for that conversation nice. maybe just a comedy manga from a guy who is just kind of trying to earn minimum wage and have as easy of a life as he can. And he just is talking to his landlady and, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll do your laundry and you'll spare me, I don't know, two weeks of rent or something like that. So yeah. there was a lot of context that I could pull from all of those different examples to learn okay. grammar. Like business world kind of stuff or what? For business stuff, I, it just had to be going into meetings and see what they were talking about to first try to understand what the topic was before I even would dip into Japanese, try to understand what the hell the topic was that they were talking about. Because okay. you would go into a meeting and the meeting could be anything. The meeting could be about a machine that broke down. The meeting could be about some material that is delayed. The meeting could be about, hey, we got this many things to produce. In which order are we going to do them? When are okay. we going to do know, overtime? Uh, when are we going to have this maintenance? When are we going to talk to this customer about uh, the price change or or maybe a product that we're already making and they want to change some of the specifications of it? So I first had to learn what the company did. Okay. And at the same time, uh, the interpreter that was still there and was training me was teaching me most of the jargon. Because okay. when we did the interview, I mean, like I said, I'm basic, but he said, I think you got it well enough that if you study on your own and you're just here like every day exposed into the daily situations, yeah, uh, you can just pick it up. And that's pretty much what happened. I mean, okay, yeah, listen, it's, it's just everyday practice. From, from everything that you've told me, like your, your teaching history, you know, a little bit of your life history, you've always been like self-taught. You've, al uh, you've always gone at it on your own. Lots of autonomy, lots of agency you know, uh, uh, um, uh, self-regulation strategies. I mean, you're mentioning a lot of thing qualities that you have. So right now, when you enter this new uh, language arena, it's not going to be difficult for you. Why? Because you already have the gist of it and you're going to find your way around and which is what you've done, right? Yeah, well, I mean, pretty much that's the knack of it. Um, I, I got a knack for teaching myself how to do this stuff. Like, it's been like that for a long time, like, Oh, I mean, playing guitar looks cool. Let's pick up a guitar and try to figure out. Uh, juggling, that seems fun. Let's give it a go. Bouldering, ooh, that's interesting. Let's give it a try. Oh, pogo jumping on a pogo stick. Yeah, let's buy one and just go at it. I just pretty much just I'm like, oh, that's look, that looks cool. I want to try it. And I just go at it. I mean, if I know it's something technical, I will read about it a little bit. If it's not, I'll just give it a go. Okay. What has been the biggest challenge? The biggest challenge, um, like I said, is trying to understand how different places work because I'm not longer at that screw factory. I moved to another factory. I'm working with a different company. We make um, carpets and mats for cars. So I had to learn okay. a whole new industry. But it's not just learning what they make, how the companies work. I mean, uh, I don't know if you've had experience. I guess you have working at different schools, right? Like they could have different yeah. methodologies and uh, teaching is teaching, but I mean, if they got like specific things that they do, same like when I went to do the international baccalaureate, there were a lot of specific standards that I had to follow. So it's kind of that learning how they work and then how your style fits into that. Okay, okay, I see. But yeah, it's, that, that's pretty much it. Just kind of... I don't know, feeling the water a little bit and say, all right, it works like this. I can do this. I cannot do that. Things work a lot smoother if I go this way than if I, if I go that way. But it's a lot of observation. And that, that's the thing. I mean, I take back into different class we had for observations. Yeah. And note taking, all right, this is how this works. This is how these people interact. This is how these things are asked. This is how things move. So if I do this and that, I mean, uh, at this point, I can still work on my language. You can always work on your language. For sure. It's more of, of getting into that rhythm. Of, all right, how do people work here? And how can I accommodate myself into that rhythm of work? And then accommodate my own way of doing things into that rhythm of work. 
Okay. I see a huge shift um, in your adulting. <laughs> in your adulting. <laughs> in the sense of before, for example, in your language teaching classes, just like me, we, I mean, you goof around a lot and it's fun and it's funny. Okay. What about here? What about in this environment, man? Can you still goof around or do you have to be more serious? Do you wear a suit to work, man? No, no, no. Uh, the first job we did have a uniform, but it was pretty relaxed. I mean, you got jeans and they gave you like a company t-shirt and that was pretty much it. But at that company, I'm, they were a lot more flexible in that I did make a lot of friends with pretty much everybody I worked at. So I could goof around with anybody. It didn't matter if it was the company president or or the nurse or the guy working on one of the machines. I goofed around with pretty much everybody. There was a point that, I mean, even new workers were like, oh, it's that guy. And I didn't know the new people, but they already knew me. I was like, oh, I know, this is a pretty social place. The fact okay. that I'm at right now, they know who I am, but I don't know, like, they, it doesn't lend itself to goof around all that. Like every now and then, there's like a slight joke here and there, but it's not that much goofing around. Okay, so you got to be time to adult. <laughs> not quite, but they're not the kind of guys who will just you know pull joke out around. a pun on you just because. Yeah. Okay, I see a little, uh, just a little bit more serious. I would say, right? A little bit. You can just slightly here and there. Okay. I have a question for you. Check this out. Um, let's just say, um, I don't know, a language teacher uh, would like to get more into translation or interpretation. Uh, what would be your advice for them? Like, how can they? Get, how can anyone get started in doing uh, uh, a translation job, for example? Not anyone, but like language teachers. Well, I mean, first you have to take into consideration what are the languages that you master and. The main thing that I would do is decide if you're going to be an interpreter or a translator. Do you like to work speaking or do you like to work in writing? Because they got their specific knacks. I mean, when you're working in translation, kind of like the word translate gives you the meaning, you don't have that much openness to change the text. You got to get the meaning through, but you got to be really careful about what words you choose to make that translation. Okay. Right? Like, I mean, let's just think for a moment, McDonald's. What's the McDonald's uh, slogan? I'm loving it, right? Yeah. What about the Spanish version? I have no idea, man. I hate McDonald's. Me encanta. <laughs> Me encanta. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, that right there, I mean, yes, it exists in text, but not that much. If you think McDonald's, it's mo the I'm loving it and Me encanta is mostly for adverts, like on the radio, on the TV, etc., so it's something you hear when you're talking about interpretation, that, that is it, interpretation. You take the meaning and you negotiate around it. I mean, if you're thinking of McDonald's and you, you would say in Spanish, lo amo, it doesn't have the same rhyme to it as me encanta, right? Me encanta yeah. just sort of rolls off the tongue a little bit nicer. It sticks to you. Okay. You would say, okay. uh, lo amo, me fascina. It's just not quite the same. That's the nope. thing with interpretation. You you can take a few liberties here and there as long as the meaning is the exact same. Okay. If you're working with translation, you got to be a lot more careful because you don't have that freedom unless okay. you, there's, uh, I don't know, some mediums if you're maybe translating a novel. But okay. for the most part, you got to be careful and you got to stick to what has been written before. So that, okay. that would be advice number one. I mean, do you think you would prefer working with you know speaking or with writing that's the thing i've done a little bit of both uh, a good balance between that thing is uh if you can get a gig doing subtitles for something um i had a student who was a university teacher and some students of him were preparing a short film about uh immigrants that go through here in Irpato. there's a lot of people that hitch a ride on the train they're moving from south america trying to get to united states so they made a documentary about it, and I did the subtitles for that in English. And I was it was a little bit of both because I mean it's a spoken word, so you gotta work with it. But then when you're doing the subtitle, you gotta think about how you're gonna express that into a text form. I mean, uh, if you've ever taken your time and watched a movie in English, in Spanish, whatever you like, and then put the subtitles in the same language, 
the meanings are the same, but sometimes the subtitle doesn't match with what the character is saying, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because of text space. So that, that could be one way in which you can sort of dip your toes in a little bit of both. Okay. And I don't know if you like to practice, uh, if it's uh, translation, there's a bunch of websites. Uh, I think italki does this where you can submit a text and any native speaker can take the text and give you corrections. So that's one way in which you could dip a little bit into translation if you like, you know, taking okay. that text giving some um, advice on it or uh, if you like doing interpretation what you can do is just on your own is just watch a tv show or a movie or something and maybe on your mind or you can speak it out loud try to do the translation as it goes because uh, the interpretation i'm sorry because when it comes to interpretation there is um, instant interpretation as the person is speaking you are going and there's consecu consecutive interpretation, which a person yeah. you know gives you a couple of sentences, they wait, and then you give the interpretation in the other language. Yeah. So that's one way, but I mean, there's no manual for it because I've been looking for it, like, try to get some tips on translation, interpretation, but there's not all that much material, even in YouTube. There's a few standards here and there for translators and interpreters for the UN, and some of them working for the White House that you can find. Yeah. I think it's on the Vice channel on YouTube. Okay. Vice. Little, <laughs> yeah. Nice, man. Listen, uh, Alonso, you, you've seen the upsurge of courses going on with translation, right? I mean, the University of Guanajuato in, in the capital, I mean, they've got this translation course going on. And it's been pretty successful as far as I'm concerned. Um, the coordinator of that program, I mean... She has a BA in translation, I believe, and even a PhD in translation. Um, and, you know, UNAM in San Miguel de Allende, we've got the um, translation BA going on. So it, there's an upsurge of translation. I mean, when you and I were in the BA, never heard of translation. I never did. You know, I never it heard of scary. any. I mean, it was scarce. And this is just, what, a couple of years ago? A couple years ago, <laughs> just a couple years ago. And right now there are a lot of courses out there, man. There are a lot. And um, so just what's in store for you now? I mean, how's the future looking for you? There's a few plans here and here, here and there. But I mean, the main goal is going in Japan. You know, okay. my, my girlfriend's from Japan, so we got this idea where she wants to go back and try. We've been living here for Mexico just a couple of years. I mean, I don't mind it. It's the country I've always been in. But I've always been interested in going to Japan. So the next few steps for me is uh, there's this thing called the uh, JLPT, the Japanese language. Uh, it, it's similar to TOEFL. It okay. gives you, let's say, a certification in Japanese. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, and there's five levels, five being the lowest, number one being the highest. If you get your level three certification uh, in the eyes of the Japanese government, you can already work in Japan because you got sufficient languages, nice, language skills. Nice. If yeah. I get like a level two certification, I can even do administrative stuff, something similar to what I'm doing here. But in Japan, I could go okay. and get a job at some company. So my main goal is to get that certification okay. and then maybe try to get some kind of certification for Spanish teaching because I know that in Asia, Spanish has become become a little bit more popular so that's one way i could do it and i'm thinking in a couple of years trying to get back into the teaching game but digitally and you know, give my of english course. classes online and that's another way i could make a revenue over there absolutely teaching online is it it's awesome like honestly i was reluctant at first i mean i had already done it right i had already taught a couple dip diploma courses online and used tools such as zoom and stuff like three, four years before the pandemic hit. And then I, I, I was an MA student online, right? So I already knew kind of like the knickknacks of how, how, how to approach education and stuff online. And um, during the pandemic, I mean, when I had to do it, when we, we all had to do it, like, dude, now I don't want to go back on site, man. I'm totally comfortable in my house. And, it, and I get the job done. I'm even more productive than I used to be, you know? Yeah, I know, and I totally missed out on that because, I mean, on my last few years as a teacher, I would get requests every now and then, like, 
from students that I had before or people that had recommended me, like, dude, I want to take lessons with you. And I was like, you know what? I don't, I'll teach you, but you know, I'm, I'm working this job eight to three. Then I yeah. went on and uh, the uh, international baccalaureate school I told you about. Yeah. But then after that, let's say from four to seven, I would go and give tutoring lesson to many of the Japanese families to their children. Nice, nice. So nice. like, yeah, yeah, I can totally teach you after seven. I don't mind it, but let's do it online because I, I, I mean, it's late at night. I, I no offense to anybody, but I don't want to have you at my house that late. Everybody's coming in trying to chill out. Frankly, at seven, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't want to go out to your house and cro- across the city to teach you a lesson. We could do it online. Cool. But pretty cool, much cool, everybody cool. was reluctant. We're like, nah, I, I want to do it face to face, and we can totally do it online. I had the tools and everything. Yeah. I, I could give a lot of examples a lot faster. I can give you a link to this video. I can give you, uh, if you want a worksheet, I can give you a worksheet in seconds, and you can fill it on your computer. It's gonna be a lot more comfortable for you. But Absolutely. a lot of people was reluctant. I just got like one or two people to follow that yeah. uh, digital model. Yeah. And it went on pretty well. So, you know, with the pandemic right now, I'm not it's, at the moment, but really I missed cool. out on it. Because I feel yeah. if I got into the game of it, there's a lot of catching up I would have to do. Well, maybe well, not that much, yeah, but... And no, I mean, yeah, exactly. Not that much, man. Because honestly, the transfer was not that difficult. I don't know. Maybe because I already had that background. I don't know. But dude, it's super comfortable. There are so many tools out there and so many web pages and all sorts of things that you can do. I'm sure, I mean, all you got to do is teach one class for a couple hours and you're going to be a, a mega man at this. Yeah, that, that's the thing. I'm really interested in, into that, you know. Right yeah. now, I'm focused a little bit on my Japanese, but yeah, it's one of my goals, getting back into teaching, but yeah, do it digitally. I think there's a lot of tools. That, I mean, since always the internet has been the teacher's best friend. Just, yeah. I don't think we had used it to... To as much of an extent as you are probably forced to do now during the pandemic times. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Right now, we you have to use all sorts of tools. And um, one thing that I noticed, Alonso, is that the shot, at least in my case, I don't know anybody else, but at least with me, um, the shyer students now really have to participate. You know, like in an on-site course, they would just remain quiet kind of thing. I mean, in my class, I would always make everybody participate, right? Especially focusing on the quieter ones or the reluctant ones. But online, they have to participate. When you put them in breakout rooms and like, yeah, you make them, I don't know, create a dialogue or something, or you call on them to participate, like they really have to do it. And I think they're more confident in doing it because they don't, um, they're not face to face with someone else. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, totally. There's the peer pressure exists, but it's not physically present. There, to some extent, there's exactly. a little bit of depersonalization, but that can help out those who are a little bit more shy break out of their shells. You know, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a camera, but there's there's no such thing as a physical person looking at you. That that takes the edge off a lot. I mean, you're just looking at a screen. Yeah, sure, you're talking to everybody, but. There are some people who just feel a lot more comfortable talking to a machine. I've had friends who, you know, you meet them in prison and they're kind of quiet. But if you start having a chat with them or, or like over the phone or WhatsApp or whatever, they get real talkative. Yeah, absolutely. Once they break out of that shell, like you say. And that's the thing. It, it allows you for that. You know, nobody's really looking at me so I can, you know, be myself a little bit more. I that's think that's right. a big advantage that's a challenge that all teachers should face and you know take the bull by the horns it's how do you how do you make those uh shyer ones those quieter ones the ones that are having a hard time with the language to break out of that shell and just do it you know go do it push them encourage them you know so that they gain their confidence inside of the classroom you know what i mean it's like working on their identity as language learners yeah, yeah. Right? I mean, th- th- there's theories of that. Like every language you speak, you're sort of a different person, different personality, and that happens a lot. Because I mean, I, I do remember what you tell me about, especially shy students. Yeah. I, my policy for classes: those who want to participate, participate. I take participation to a whole different, all kinds of a spectrum. If you want to raise your hand, 
okay, if you just want to write a text or if you just want to give a correction to someone else, do that. But for those who are yeah. quiet, I would try to take my time every now and then just doing my rounds around the room and just stopping at them. Hey, what do you do there? Uh, if they were finished, just kind of chat them up, learn a little bit about them. And maybe in future classes, I would choose a topic that I knew they were interested in. Yeah. So they would be a little bit more interested into, you know, breaking out of that shell. But yeah, with the digital thing, I mean, being just on your own, just in front of a camera, sometimes you're not even paying attention to a camera. Maybe you're looking just at all the squares on, on your screen, seeing who's paying attention, who is not, or maybe you just don't care about it. And you can yeah. break out of your shell a lot easier. Absolutely. It's so strange, man. It's so strange when you say that, you're mi that you missed out on this. That is so strange. I mean, um, I mean I've only interviewed language teachers, right? And, um, you know, some PhD uh, 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 candidates. And they're all, we're all teaching. But you, you just went off onto this side road to make a bunch of money doing what you love, you know, and it's, that's such a strange thing to me. It is, it is because I mean, yeah, in a sense, I left teaching, but at the same time, not really because I was teaching myself Japanese. So I was my own teacher and student. Yeah. Right yeah. now, you know, with more Japanese people, I, I have a little bit more of access to native speakers who can help me on polishing my language. But for how do you go about that? Is, well, that, that's the thing, because um, since I'm not in a class per se, there's no one who yeah. can really tell me, oh, you say this thing that way. I mean, with my girlfriend, when we we're just having a conversation, I've asked her to correct me, so she doesn't. You don't say it this way, you say it that way. Yes. She asked me stuff in like, hey, wh what does this mean in Spanish? And I try to explain to her, but I try to explain in Japanese. So okay. I'm using something I already know in a different language to sort of construct something in the middle. I'm explaining to them. But at the same time, I'm experimenting on how would I explain my native language using a foreign language. Amazing, man. How interesting yeah, I mean, is that? How sophisticated is that, man? It's just the same thing I've, I've told my students because a lot of them are like, how do you get to a high level of language? And I tell them, you, you know, you want to know what I did to learn English? I, I would start doing my homework from high school. But yeah. next to me, I would have the TV on and I would be watching these really old sitcoms like Wings or Married with Children, Friends. Yeah. I just have them going on background and I tell them, you know what I did for practice? I would spend maybe six hours a day listening to a language. Or if I was playing a video game, I never picked up a dictionary. Like if I understand what the game is telling me, cool, I can move on through the game. If okay. I don't, I, I have to think outside the window, right? What items do I have? What, what characters have given me any hints that I sort of understand? Okay. But it's what I told my students, just do stuff that you like, your everyday stuff, just incorporate your language into it. For Japanese, just to kind of get my brain used to being in constant Japanese, I would listen to the radio, to a Japanese radio station. I would leave it on, even if I was sleeping, I would leave it on the whole day. I, I spend about a month and a half, 24-7, okay. just having some Japanese in the background. Uh, I still do this every morning uh, okay. when I come into the office. I open this news website, which uh, um, television network from Japan called NHK. So they got this new segment that is called Easy Japanese. They explain it in full-on Japanese, but it's kind of simplified Japanese so that most people okay. can understand it. Okay. So okay. I, I do that. I mean... It's simple enough that I can understand it, but it's not something like, oh, I'm a new learner. I can just pick it up. The thing, I just put Japanese into everything I do every day. For that month and a half, if I want to just sit down and watch YouTube, all right, you can do it, but whatever content you watch, watch it in Japanese. And for example, at that time, I was very interested in Nerf guns, different toys. Okay. So I found this Japanese guy who does that. He does Nerf toy gun reviews. So I just started learning about that. Uh, if cool, I wanted man. to watch so Netflix, cool. uh, I just stuck to the shows with the word Japanese and had Japanese subtitles in them. Uh, I recently watched uh, this really old Japanese cartoon called Evangelion. Yeah, I love that. I love that one. <laughs> it's totally crazy because they're talking about this whole existentialist stuff and I'm watching yeah. it in Japanese. I'm like... Okay, time. Yeah, Hold I mean, up. Time, How time, the fuck time. do you understand that? <laughs> time, 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 time. Dude, um, enough talk about Japanese. 
let us have it, man. Tell us the last thing you learned in Evangelion in Japanese. Shoot. The last thing I learned about Evangelion Japanese is what Shinji said. The only thing I got to do is accept myself because I exist here. And then everybody stands up and claps. In Japanese, please. Mr. Mononator, in Japanese. So what I've been telling you right now is it's kind of strange because I can understand a lot of what is being told to me, you know, receptive skills, but my production is not that that good enough just yet, especially with grammar because the order of uh, sentences as you have seen is kind of completely backwards, but then again, sometimes it's not backwards. And then the same word can be a verb or a noun and sometimes an adjective at the same time. So it's it's yeah. an odd language, grammatically speaking. Well, listen, man. I, I mean, like I told you, I took that beginner's Japanese course, and uh, you sounded pretty Japanese to me, man. <laughs> no, I don't know. You... That, that, that's the thing. I, w when I took the job that I'm currently at, yeah, I, I had a first. The, the Japanese in the sales department, who was the person I was going to work with the most, interviewed me in Japanese. Oh, wow. And as we man. finished the interview, yeah, that was a first for me. And I kind of didn't care about getting the job or not. I was like, oh, I'm going to have an interview in Japanese. I want to do that. I have to do that. You went for the fun. That, that, that's what I tell you. If I see something like, oh, I want to do that, I'm just going to go at it. But I did ask him, you know, what, what do you think of my Japanese? Because I know that it's kind of odd. And the thing is that when I'm talking Japanese and I kind of get it stuck a little bit, it's kind of like my brain is. You've probably seen this a lot with uh, Spanish speakers. Like, the words are coming out in English, but they're speaking in Spanish, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so it was kind of the same. When I start, my brain starts getting stuck. It's like words are coming out in Japanese, but the structure is kind of English-like. So I did okay. ask him. You, you know, I, at some points, I know my Japanese gets a little bit weird, and I know I can get my <laughs> point across. You can understand. Okay. But he's like. Yeah, I mean, you can work on your Japanese, but you're like really confident and really fluent when you're speaking. It doesn't sound like you're like, uh, how, how do you say that? Oh, okay. you... Yeah, yeah. This is like no, really just... technical. Hey, dude, yeah. it, it, it's like the, uh, um, you know, people from the US that are speaking Spanish. Like, they, honestly, they don't even care if it comes out right or not, as long as they get their message across and they have fun doing it, man. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's, um, the funny thing is that Japanese has, we use this process a lot in English, uh, in, in Spanish, like um, uh, the thing, the, este, el, como yeah. se llama, you, you know? Uh, yeah, pet Japanese, or something, what do you call them? Yeah, I don't, I forget yeah, what you call them. I can't remember the technical name for it, but you know what I'm talking about, this yeah, yeah, yeah. gap fillers. Fillers, fillers. Yeah, yeah, fillers, yeah, fillers, there you go. <laughs> they exist naturally in Japanese, and they're used a lot. But okay. the Japanese people that I work with, Maybe it's because they've been out of the country for such a long time that they barely ever use them at all. So, okay. because I don't see them using them and I don't hear them quite often, I don't use them myself as much I as see. I could. Oh, wow. uh, and okay. I could take advantage of that when I don't know how to say something. Uh, I could use these fillers. And it sounds natural. It sounds like yeah. you're not like you're stuck, like, oh, he's really speaking Japanese. Okay, okay. But because I don't hear them as often, I don't use them as well. Okay. How interesting, Alonso, the way things have unfolded for you. How interesting <laughs> this is. I mean, you totally have to go live in Japan for a number of years, however long, so that I can have a place to go stay at. <laughs> please, yeah, sure, please, sure, please. Sure. <laughs> I definitely want to visit Japan as well. I'll bring you into my shoebox size apartment. That, that's oh, the only man. thing I'm not going to like that much. Well, I'm sure you're going to get used to it. And, it, you know, the thing is that how much space do people need, you know? So anyway, Alonso, we've pretty much come to the end of our conversation. Um, is there anything you want to add right now? Anything well, you want to tell people? In, because this this podcast is being listened to in over 40 countries, man. What is something you would like to say to people out there? Holy cow, 40 countries? That's awesome, dude. I know, man. Well, just 
keep on listening to all of you learners, teachers, people who just have a general interest in any language. The best I, advice I can give to you is the advice they give to me. If it seems like you want to do it, don't even think about it if it's going to be fun. If it seems like, you know, I'd like to give it a shot, just go for it. You never know where you're going to end up. I mean, a few years ago, I was a kid who could barely do a bit of basic, basic programming, and I lived through a lot going through this mentality. It's just, ah, let's give it a shot. Maybe I like it. Maybe I don't. But if you don't give it a shot, you don't know. Just so go for it. Go for it. Take that bike ride. Open that book. Try to cook a cake, even if you have no sugar. Just go for it. <laughs> nice, man. Now, the same in Japanese, please. Thank you so, so much, man. Thank you so much, Alonso. It's been a real pleasure talking to you, catching up a little bit, man. And I hope to see you so we can have some coffee or something, man. Yeah, yeah, sure. We're overdue for a yearly barbecue. It's been on hold for quite a long time now, fool. Well, pandemic times, man. Anyway, thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. This has been another episode of No Lesson Plan. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you. Remember, drop a message. If you want to be featured on the show, drop a message. The link is in the uh, description of the show. Um, I would love to talk to you wherever you are. Thank you so much. This has been No Lesson Plan.